book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half blood prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series, and we discuss the chapters in the books, but that's not true anymore, because now she's my nine-year-old daughter. Isn't that right, Lily? Yes. (laughs) You're super excited. Since our last recording, you have aged yet again. I keep telling you to stop, and you never stop. (laughs) It keeps happening every time it's worse can't stand it and i can't seem to find a cure (laughs) but you are older and older and older so now you are nine so now you have a nine-year-old's perspective and a soon-to-be 35-year-old's perspective on (laughs) the harry potter books we are on which book lily book seven book seven which is called what the deathly hallows harry potter and the deathly hallows and we still don't know as of this reading as of your reading what a deathly hallow is I know. It's a thing? I know everything about this book series. As does everyone else who's read it, I suppose. But you don't, and I will continue to lord that knowledge over you. We are on chapter nine of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, A Place to Hide. When we finished our last episode, what was going on? It was Bill and Floor's wedding. And everything went perfect, as does every event in Harry Potter's life, correct? No. (laughs) Okay, so what happened? At the very end, uh, Scrimdraw's Patronus comes. Wait, is it Scrimdraw's or Kingsley's? Mm, It's Kingsley's. It's Kingsley's, because I was doing a Kingsley accent in that episode. So, yes, it was Kingsley's. He says, uh, his Patronus says, The ministry has fallen. Scrimdra's dead. They're coming for you. Yeah, so so everyone scatters, everyone runs. And that leaves us at Chapter, chapter nine. 9, A Place to Hide. The wedding is turning to panic. And everyone is trying to do protective charms. Harry and Hermione try and find Ron because I think they realize, what is this a chance for? them to get away and start hunting horcruxes because now would be a good time because one, nobody would really notice in all the scramble and two, the Death Eaters are going to show up soon anyway, so... <laughs> yeah, so they're, everyone's going to be fleeing for cover. They, This is the worst thing that could happen at their relatives and friends' wedding, but... It's as good a time as any. You know, they were going to sneak off probably in the night anyway, or at least before everyone woke up. So now that there is a panic, they it's their chance to go. But what do you think is, how is this going to leave them in terms of wondering, how's it going to leave them in terms of everybody else? Like no one's going to know what happened to them and they're not going to know what happened to anybody else. That's probably not how they would have planned it, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if they're in a situation where Death Eaters are about to show up and then suddenly Harry, Ronnie, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are missing. What do you think the first thing the Weasleys might think happened? They might think that the Death Eaters caught them 
and either are torturing them or and or killing them. That's a pretty good guess. Uh, anyway, they all find each other eventually, uh, pretty quickly, and they apparate away. I think their plan was they know Harry's relatives are hidden. Hermione's parents are somewhere else and don't even know who they are or what they or, or where they are. Mm-hmm. They don't remember they have a daughter cuz Hermione put the spell on them and Ron's siblings and parents thought that he was just sick in his room. And they certainly don't think that anymore cuz he was at the wedding. So I don't think they've really had a chance to enact the ghoul in pajamas plan. I think that was going to be for after they were gone. Actually, I think they mentioned that that's working later in the book. Oh, okay. Well. So I guess they already dressed him up. Then they're not paying much attention. I'm, I'm, I don't see how that plan's supposed to work. But they apparate away. Do you remember where they end up? It's something lane. <laughs> It's Tottenham Court Road, but where? what is this place? Who's been there before? Hermione. Yeah, this is just a place she remembered, right? I think the way that apparition worked works is the person who decides where to go takes everyone else with them. Yeah. Like, Harry didn't know where Dumbledore was going when he side-along apparated with Dumbledore. Yeah. So you're kind of just a passenger, unless you're the one leading the apparition. They just went to a place that she remembered, and they're like, well, great. We're all in our party clothes. Harry is probably no longer uh, disguised as a Weasley relative, I would guess, at this point. Mm -hmm. What's Hermione's solution for them wandering around London in uh, wedding clothes? She told them already that uh, that she had packed everything in case they needed to leave in a hurry, exactly like this situation. And she meant everything, right? She meant everything. Clothes, backpack, safety gear. So what does she have? Uh, 16 trunks and 45 bags? No. Uh, she was given a little moleskin bag. Moleskin bag, Moleskin yeah. bag. Uh, and, I mean, that Hagrid gave her. And she... It's, a, it's really big on the inside. Mm-hmm. So she put Every single thing in there. It's kind of like the tent they had at the Quidditch finals, the Quidditch World Cup, where it's one size on the outside and a completely different size on the inside, right? Yeah, like in in the book, well, in the book it says that it's like maybe the size of a small purse, I'm guessing, but inside the book makes it sound like it's like the size of a pantry or something. Yeah, and she, I don't, I don't remember if this is in the book, but in the movies, like, you hear her her stack of books that are in there fall over, and, you know, it's, it, give, it gives you a sense of how much bigger. She sticks her whole arm in it and pulls out clothes and things like that. So It's like, like it's always stuck at the bottom. I think they also mention why it's not heavy, that it's got some sort of charm about why it's not heavy. I don't think they say that. But it also has an undetectable extension charm. I remember that part. Yeah, so they're in this alleyway. They change clothes, probably stuff all their party gear back in the 
in the bag. You know that little bag that you have that someone gave you that kind of cinches up around the top, kind of like a dice bag, but it's bigger? Yes. That's modeled after this bag in, in the movie. That's what the the one in the movie. Who gave that to you? Wasn't I, it Harry Potter related? Yes, it was. It was like striped Gryffindor colors. Didn't someone bring that back from Wizarding World when they was it one of your friends' parents? Maybe it. Was, anyway, that's not important. But that my point is that's kind of what the bag looks like in the movie. Right. It was. Uh, it was my grandma's friend. They went and bought me something. Okay, so that's settled. They duck into a Muggle cafe to try and get their bearings and figure out their next move. What happens when they're in this cafe? They they sit down, they order some drinks, and they see two big guys uh, in cloaks come in. Do they mention in the books that Hermione and Ron, or that Ron is not familiar with the drinks? Yes. Okay, because that happens in the movies for sure, where like they order cappuccino and Ron's kind of like looking at the menu for trying to find butterbeer or something and can't figure out what to order. Yeah, and and he's like, "Wait, wait. Where where's all the good stuff?" The interesting thing to me is that I'm sure butterbeer is great. And of course they like tea. But somehow you're going to tell me that uh the concept of frothed milk coffee, which the entire world enjoys, <laughs> has not made it into the wizarding world. That seems like I would al- I think I would trade magic for good coffee if they haven't uh, discovered that yet. I'm not sure what the deal is there. So, wh- who do they see there? Like seriously, wine has made it into Wizarding World. I th- yeah, they've got various alcohols. I'm not sure what their deal is. But anyway, you so, so you said this awesome big guys. What happens there? One of the three. Wait, isn't Harry under his cloak? Harry sees them reach for wands, and it says, without even thinking, he does the same thing. He's so ready to fight. Like, or not, he's so ready to defend himself at this point. Harry is under the cloak, and then he shoots a spell at the guys, but they can't see. Uh, oh, they've got Harry under the invisibility cloak? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's something I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember why, but they do. Well, probably because they're looking for him everywhere. Yes, yeah, so he's wearing the invisibility cloak. He shoots a spell. They don't know who did it, so they start shooting at Ron and Hermione. Now, my question is, were they, were the Death Eaters everywhere, or did they somehow follow them there? Because they're only there for a few minutes before that attack happens. So were they able to follow them out of the wedding and know where they were going or trace them in some way, or were the Death Eaters simply lucky Hermione thinks that Harry might still have the trace on him. Ah, that's what it was. That's right. So there may not be anywhere safe until his actual birthday, which is when? It already happened. It happened like that night? It happened, I think, the day before the wedding. So when does the trace wear off? It, It happens at midnight when you turn 17. So it should go off that night, maybe? Hmm. We don't know. I'm not sure if it was like the last night, like the night before. Or maybe the ministry, because the ministry is now infiltrated by Voldemort. Maybe he had someone extend Harry's trace. Mm. Hmm. Who knows? Who knows? That's even possible. So there's a fight. They stun out. They stun the Death Eaters. 
leave them. Uh, Ron, I think Ron is the one in the movie, at least, who is like, we we can't just leave him here. We got to kill him. What was Hermione's solution for that? It was in the book too. Okay, so what was Hermione's solution? She says that they should just do like a Petrificus Totalis on them or something. She wipes their memories because she's gotten right. really good with memory spells, having had to do that to her parents. Right. So they're going to wake up not knowing who they are or anything about Harry Potter. They also fix the cafe. They also won't know they're Death Eaters. Right. They fix the cafe, and where do they head next? Don't they go to Grimold Place at this point? Yes. They think that's still going to be a safe you know, hiding place for them. So they head to Grimold Place. As soon as they open the doors, what is the friendly greeting they receive? A big, like, like cloud of like dust but it looks like a ghost i think it i think they say it looks like dumbledore or something it's supposed to look like dumbledore's ghost do you know why it's supposed to look like dumbledore's ghost i think so because it says in moody's voice severus snape something like that it is designed they think that now that the order knows that severus has betrayed them they also know that he knows about Grimmauld Place. So it's possible that Order members may be hiding out there. It's possible that Snape may lead the Death Eaters to Grimmauld Place. So they have designed protections specifically to both keep Snape out and scare him off if he gets in there. Yes, yeah, so the ghost says, Severus Snape. And then, like, they're screaming. And then somebody says, we didn't kill you, we didn't kill you. And on the word kill, it disappears. It seems like the charm, whatever it was going to do to Snape, realizes that this is not Snape and deactivates. The house also has other protections, though, that that may be actually keeping Snape out. Don't you think Snape would have gone back? Maybe taken over that house? or Or maybe gone through it and got all the valuable stuff. Well... Since you mentioned that, it seems someone has done just that, right? Mm-hmm. What what state do they find the house in? It's mess. It's messier. It's messier than usual, and it looks like it's been like raided. Yeah, it looks like someone's gone through everything. It mentions that the books have been shaken from their covers. You know, like the pages are knocked out of books and that they've ruffled through bedclothes. Somebody was trying to find something or anything, somebody that knew there may have been something valuable there. The house is empty, though, and they're searching the house for Death Eaters as they see how ransacked it is. Harry's scar starts to hurt before he has a chance to have any sort of, you know, acknowledgement of the scar pain. Uh, a Patronus shows up. Whose is it and what does it say? Do you remember? No. It's Arthur Weasley's Patronus. He figures out that that's where they've gone. I think Arthur was kind of aware that Dumbledore may have sent them on a mission or something. Wait, that happened? Yeah. So a Patronus arrives from Mr. Weasley that says, the family's safe. Right, I remember this. Letting them know, obviously, you're off on scary business, one less thing to worry about is that no one at the wedding was killed, or maybe they've at least all gotten away. They've gotten to somewhere safe. Harry's scar is hurting more, though, and he goes to the bathroom, 
and collapses on the floor and he has a Voldemort vision, what does he see? He sees uh, Voldemort and the wand maker. What's oh, his name? not yet. The first thing he sees is Voldemort is forcing Draco to torture somebody. Really? Yeah. Somebody named Raoul. And I don't remember who Raoul is or why they're important. It's interesting that he now knows that that Voldemort has Draco under his control. He he was always a lion. It seemed like he was always going to do whatever his father was doing. We knew that his father was a Death Eater, but now Draco is, even besides his mission to kill Dumbledore, which didn't work for him, he's now actively doing horrible things for the Dark Lord, which is no fun. Uh, Harry wakes up thinking of Dumbledore and Godric's Hollow as if that had come to him somehow and wants to go upstairs and look around. He's wandering around Grimmauld Place. He sees all the disheveled, you know, clothes and all the shelves are ripped out and everything's in a in a bad state. When he goes through Sirius's room, however, and remember that this is not just the room Sirius was hiding out in when he was wanted by the law, but this is Sirius's bedroom for when he was a child, right? Like when he actually lived here. And when he went to Hogwarts, this is where he came home to. That also that also actually makes me realize something. His home was like hidden while he was going to school. Maybe not. I I don't know if it's stated that Grimmauld Place is hidden because it always was. I think it's hidden because it was being used by the Order as a headquarters. So I think they probably hid it when Voldemort first rose to power. I don't think it was hidden before that. Especially because Sirius's family would have sided with Voldemort. That's why he left. So why would they why would they be in hiding? Yeah. Dark dark wizards can come and go as they please. They're welcome in our home. You know, that's the black way. So I don't think they would have had to hide. Harry sees a few things in Sirius's old bedroom that perhaps he'd never snooped around in there when Sirius was was hiding there as an adult. He sees a picture of his father, and he also finds a letter. Do you remember what's in the letter? It not it a letter from James and Lily? It's a letter written by Lily describing Harry's first birthday. Maybe she sent this to Sirius because right. he couldn't be there for some reason. Right. I remember it says... He was like the happiest baby in the world, uh, zooming around on his toy broomstick. And this letter makes Harry feel both very happy and also tremendously sad. Do you remember why he has this mix of emotions? No. He's sad because it brings up additional memories about his parents dying, or thoughts, I guess, because he doesn't really have memories of it. But he loves it. Because it proves that his mother was alive. He knows in his mind that she was a real person. But he doesn't have a lot of photos and he doesn't have any memories of her. So it's like me telling you Abraham Lincoln was a person. You believe me and I can tell you the things he did. But it's just a story, you know. This is how Harry views his parents. 
they're just stories. This letter, it's it mentions that he he imagines her dragging her quill across these pages and making these letters, writing these words with her quill. And and he says that she makes the same cue that he does. And so he finds a way to see himself in her. And it's a, it's a proof to him that she was real. She existed. She was this person. And they had a life together, even if he'll never be able to remember it. Also, like half the letter is gone. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, so he's like searching everywhere. That's right. He searches the room for the rest of the letter. You're right. And he wants to know if it might say something about Dumbledore for some reason. Hermione finds Harry in Sirius's room. Looking, She's been looking for him. He shows her the letter from his mother and they wonder about Bathilda Bagshot and the rumors they've heard about Dumbledore. Because she is mentioned, well, Bathilda and Dumbledore mentioned in the letter. I wish I had the text of this letter because I feel like I need to read it now to know <laughs> why this is important. But the, yeah, the, so Bagshot's the one that knows the Dumbledore clan, right? The one that knows his family the best. Yeah. And she's also the one that Rita Skeeter says is the source of her information for this horrible book she's going to write on Dumbledore, right? Yeah. Okay. So perhaps she's no longer a ally. Maybe she's turned against Dumbledore after he's died or something. They're going to go down to breakfast, though, and while they're walking downstairs, Harry notices a sign on Sirius's brother's bedroom. I think that's Hermione, actually. And it says it's Harry, but whatever. What realization does he have when he sees this bedroom door? What's realization? What understanding does he now have? He learns something from looking at this door. It says, this bedroom will only be entered by uh, Regulus Arturo Black. Regulus Arcturus Black, I believe. Is it Arcturo? or I thought it was Arcturus. Anyway. Well, that doesn't but really what matter. But do, what does that tell him? R-A-B. And who is R-A-B? The person who wrote the letter inside of the fake locket. Yes, so R-A-B, Regulus Black, brother of Sirius and former Death Eater, was the one who stole the first Horcrux and replaced it with a fake. Yeah, it says in the book... As far as I remember, that Hermione sees it and then screams for Harry and Ron. They search Regulus's room, hoping that maybe the locket will be there, the real one, or some other evidence of where, what they should do next. But they don't find anything. But then Harry remembers something about the locket. Do you remember what that is? No. He remembers that he has seen this locket before while he was cleaning the drawing room which is kind of like a study or an office. Right. He says he saw it, and then I think he tossed it out or something. He didn't throw it away. He just ignored it. But now he knows a for real Voldemort Horcrux, at least recently, was in this house. What? Who does he think might have taken it? Creature. Yeah, he thinks Creature might have stolen it. Of course, they don't believe... That creature is, you know, good. They think if something bad has happened that he's probably done it, right? Right. Now, because Harry is creature's de facto master now, 
being the last technically surviving member of Sirius's family, what is Harry able to do? How can he get Creature? Oh, he calls for him. All he has to do is summon him because Creature is a house elf and house elf rules say I must serve my master. I must do everything they say. I can't deny an order. I can't lie to them. You know, and if they call me, bam, I appear. He's like, Creature! So Creature wasn't there. We don't know where they were. He went down to Creature's cupboard and searched it to see that the locket wasn't there. So he summons Creature and asks him about it. And then Creature has a very telling story that they knew nothing about. Do you remember how Creature describes the events of what happened to the locket? It's something that happened to him. I know that. You don't remember the story, though? I kind of, like, remember, like, one-third of it or something. The way that Voldemort hid the locket in the cave, the locket that has to be in the pedestal with the horrible potion that you has to drink, that has to be drunk, that right, creature. kills the person that drinks it, you know? Creature had to drink that. Creature was his method for accomplishing this spell. So obviously Voldemort created this pedestal with whatever spell it takes, filled it full of the magic evil potion, but then he couldn't just drop the locket in it. That potion had to be drunk in order to put the locket in, I suppose. Yeah, because you... I guess it's the same rules for... You can't just reach in and grab it. Right. So Voldemort has Creature drink the potion. He puts the locket in it. I guess it fills back up. And then what does Voldemort do with Creature? He he disapparates and just leaves Creature there. And Creature needs water. So not knowing that the lake around them is filled with Inferi, he drinks it and then he gets attacked. Yeah, and... Having left Creature for dead and the fact that Regulus cared for Creature, this infuriated him. Regulus, now here's where I am fuzzy. Was Regulus with him when he created the this hidden Horcrux area? Because somehow, oh, I remember, I remember, I remember what happens. This has to do with how much people underestimate house elves and especially people like Voldemort who do not prize the life of non-pureblood wizards, especially house elves. They don't even know that house elves can apparate from anywhere, that their magic is more powerful than a lot of wizard magic, right? I think that Harry forgets that too once Creature is telling the story. Everyone does, always. And as a matter of fact, it's going to come up again very soon. Yeah, because Harry is like, wait, how did you escape? So he was able to, either he was able to leave on his own or he was able to leave because Regulus called for him. I cannot remember. Right. Uh, I remember. I remember. He said, uh, I think this is now, he said, go and you have to come back. So they can't deny an order. So he had to That's right. So he has to just sort of apparate regardless and he before he would die, I suppose. Regulus is furious that Voldemort has used his house elf and left him for dead just to complete a potion. It's as if a creature were an ingredient, you know, 
just a a potion ingredient to be mashed up in a cauldron. It didn't his life didn't matter. So Regulus returns to the cave with creature. Now, something that is not mentioned in the book that is mentioned by J.K. Rowling later is that Voldemort did not invent Horcrux magic, but it was not common. And it's safe to assume that Voldemort was constantly boasting about how he can't be killed. In in actually at one point, I think in book four, he kind of or or maybe when he reappears at the ministry, he seems to make this same boast to Harry that he can't be killed. You know, do what you want, but I, I won't die. I can never die. And she mentions that Regulus suspected there were Horcruxes. So once he learned about this horrible spell that was cast at this cave using Creature, he's pretty well convinced Voldemort has Horcruxes, or rather, a Horcrux. Because even if other wizards had done it, they had never made more than one. Which is why Regulus's letter says, I've done this in the hopes that when you finally meet your end, you know, you'll be on even terms, you'll be able to die. He thinks it's just the one. So Regulus goes back with Creature. Who drinks the potion this time? Isn't it Regulus? It's Regulus. When Creature goes to get water for Regulus, because just like Dumbledore, he's begging for water, Creature sets the Inferi free. They begin to attack and kill Regulus. What does Regulus tell Creature? I don't remember. He says to leave. Leave without me. He knows that Creature can apparate. He can leave. He has to follow that order. Creature telling this story is just completely broken down. Do you remember that? Yes, he's like he's like telling the story and he's crying all the way through it, so it's hard for them to understand, but they still know what's going on. Hermione is already sympathetic towards house elves and their plight. You know, she started the spew. She has been fighting for house elf rights, even if they're not helping her. But for the first time, Harry sees Creature as a person. Because it's clear that Harry that Creature loved Regulus, right? Like Harry can see that he has emotions and he knows when stuff happens. He knows who he loves. Even if he has horrible opinions that were drilled into him by his evil mistress, Regulus also says, never tell your mistress what you've done, what I've done. So he can't. So she never knows where her son went. Creature knows and can't tell. Maybe she thinks that just like Sirius, he ran away. I don't know, because he was faithful to their darker leanings, you know. Maybe he went away on a mission with Voldemort or something. Yeah, she doesn't, you know, I don't care if she knows or not, honestly. She's (laughs) terrible. But so the Inferi drag Regulus into the lake. Creature escapes. He's telling this story. He's blubbering and crying. Everyone feels sorry for him. But then he mentions what happened to the real locket, which has been just hanging out in the black household. This whole time, where is the real locket? Or rather, who took the real locket? I think that Creature found it and threw it out, and then Umbridge found it. Not quite. Creature tried everything he could to destroy it, because that was his order. 
but it could not be destroyed. I would imagine because he was by himself and he couldn't ask anyone for help that he tried to smash it. He tried to burn it. You know, things that you would normally do to destroy any item. But it's got such a magical protection on it that nothing he could do hurt it. So he hit it, but Mundungus Fletcher took it. Really? And it's likely that Mundungus Fletcher is the one who ransacked the house looking for items of value. Yeah, because in the fifth year, he was like, he and Harry, Hermione, and Ron, they were all in Hogsmeade. And Harry's like, hey, hey, you, give me that back. To who? About what? Mon- Harry said that to Mundungus because he had a lot of stuff in his hands from the Black House. Okay, so he's already robbed the Black House before. It's possible that he thought, hell, well, the order's gone. And Voldemort's back. I bet that house is empty. It's probably got some other great stuff in it. He finds that locket, not knowing what it is. If he really knew what it was, I don't think he would have sold it, you know, as kind of a stolen item or whatever. He gets stopped by, that might be, I don't know if he'd already sold it and someone else had it, or if he himself got stopped by Umbridge. But we're going to find out in just a second, because they, what does Harry tell Creature to do? Go and go and get Mundungus and don't come back until he does. And he finds Dung and brings him back almost immediately. Again, I- everyone underestimates I think it was like three days later or something. Oh, okay. I'm thinking movie. In the movie, it happens in like 10 seconds. So he does. Oh, that's right. Because he had to track him down. I think he mentioned that, like, I think maybe at one point, Dung realized somebody was trailing him. So he did have to track him down. As a token of gratitude for this information and and going on this mission, what does Harry do for Creature? Do you remember what he gives him? No. He gives Creature the fake locket. He's like, oh, oh, right, because it, it's like a mem- it'll be like a keepsake in re- in what's his name of Regulus. Of Regulus. This means a lot to Creature. Harry's never been nice to him. Most people have never been nice to him. That's why he's so crappy. And there's nothing that he would prize more than a memory of his beloved family. So. Harry has honored all of these things by giving him this fake locket that presumably doesn't even look anything like the real the locket. one Voldemort used. Yeah, because... So it may have been something that had been in the Black household. This might be a family heirloom of the Blacks. Like, they mentioned somewhere that the real locket doesn't have a small diamond on it like the fake one does, and it's and the real one is much, much bigger. Right. And do you remember the sort of history of the actual locket, who it belonged to, where it went, and how it ended up in Voldemort's possession? No. The locket belonged to Salazar Slytherin and was handed down and handed down and handed down to Marope Gaunt. So from Voldemort's perspective, this is not only my mother's locket, but it's also a locket of the great Salazar Slytherin. Right, because... It it says in the sixth book that um, Rope had the locket and her father, the other person, <laughs> uh, was mad at her and 
was, it said in the book, tugged the gold chain around Merope's neck until she was almost choked, something like that. And I could be, I hope I'm not remembering this slightly backwards. I know that the ring was Slytherin's, but I think the locket was too. Or it might just be that the locket was his mother's. I'm not sure. I know that certainly the ring was Slytherin's. And we know that Voldemort was the heir of Slytherin because Merope was the heir of Slytherin. I think the locket was his. I could be wrong. Either way, it was his mom's. So he had it for the longest time. And then it ended up in the possession of that lady that liked to collect wizard artifacts. I don't remember her name. Was that... That wasn't Mafalda Hopkirk, was it? No. Okay, so whoever that lady was. She had a house elf too, I noticed. Voldemort killed her and took her artifacts that he made at least one Horcrux from because that's where he got his mother's necklace back. It also mentions somewhere in the book that she bought it from someone who like stole it and then sold it and then the guy that bought it bought it for like $10, but then sold it to this collector lady for like, you know, a thousand galleons or something. So he knew what it was, but he didn't know. The guy that stole it thought it was just some dinky old locket. This guy was like, nope, this is Marope Gaunt's locket, possibly a Slytherin's locket, don't remember. Anyway, that's a long convoluted way of saying this is this locket has been stolen and found over and over and over and over, right? Yeah. He was like, uh, the first guy was like, hey, anybody want this locket? I found it on the street. Yeah, I mean, he sold it just thinking he could get a few dollars for it and or a few Like for one galleon. <laughs> or whatever. He did not know that he was holding something very valuable, at least in the terms of who it belonged to and who may want to own it in the future. So... Anyway, all of that said, the locket has changed hands. It has been lost and found over and over and over. So they have sent Creature to find Dung. That takes us to chapter 11. Because I think we skipped mentioning that we were in chapter 10, which is called Creature's Tale. Yeah, we did skip that. Chapter 11 is called The Bribe. So in chapter 11, they are waiting for Creature to return with Mundungus. Harry, Ron, and Hermione notice that there are Death Eaters congregating in Grimald Square, which is the, the place where Grimald Place is located. Yeah, it, it starts off as like two, then it, then it goes to six, then it doubles that to 12. Now, they're still hidden. They're still under protection. But now I guess they're wondering for how long, right? Yeah, I, I, I think the Death Eaters are, like, waiting for them to come out so they can start attacking them. But, I mean, seriously, who would notice Death Eaters at the window? What do you mean, who would notice them? Who wouldn't notice Who them? wouldn't notice them, I see. It may be that Snape has said, this is where the house will appear, but this is not where the house is. Like, you will see them coming and going from here, but you will not be able to see the house itself right yeah they're gathering obviously their their hiding spot is less secure than it was before 
Hermione is reading through her Tales of Beetle the Bard, hoping to find some clue as to why Dumbledore gave this to her. Why is this book so important? What is my mission? Ron is also playing with his Deluminator. I I think from what I've heard before, like, I've just heard it when you've had the movies on and since we've been to Wizarding World and from what you've said that one of the stories ha- one of the stories at like the very end has something you need to know or something like that. They haven't gotten there yet, but they will get to why the book is important. She's still confused though. That's just what I think. Sure. Oh, so you haven't read anything else about why the book may or may not be important. No. Well, obviously the book is important. She doesn't know why yet. You don't know why yet, but it is. Going downstairs alone, Harry is kind of frustrated, I think, at the lack of progress they're making. Suddenly the door opens, and who runs in? At first, he thinks it's some Death Eater. The little ghost dust thing comes up. It says there was Snape. He says, I didn't kill you. The thing goes away. He starts walking in. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go in front of the guy and say, put your hands up or something like that. And he's like, who are you? He's like, "He's like, Harry, Harry, it's me. It's Lupin. Harry, Harry doesn't believe him, though, right? Yeah, Harry, Harry, I mean, Hermione and Ron are like, oh, thank God. But Harry's, Harry's like, how do I know? And then he's... And then Lupin says, Lupin says like 10 paragraphs about, well, he said, he said to confirm his identity, he says, I am Remus John Lupin, werewolf, sometimes known as Mooney, one of the four creators of the Marauder's Map, married to Nymphadora, usually known as Tonks. I taught you how to produce a Patronus, Harry, which takes the form of a stag. So there's about six pieces of information there that a fake maybe could have figured out one or two of them. But it would probably take the real Lupin to know all of them, right? And especially be able to recall them in one sentence. Yeah, and probably remember all of them that quickly. And Lupin is like, Hermione, Ron, you you should be more like Harry. You shouldn't lower your defenses so quickly by just hearing somebody say there. There is a very distinct difference in how Harry reacts to the danger and how Ron and Hermione do. Ron and Hermione basically fall to the floor. Harry pulls out his wand. It's clear that whether he's ever wanted to be one or not, Harry has become the leader that everyone has expected him to be. He formed Dumbledore's army. He taught the students how to defend themselves. He taught almost every student at class how to produce a Patronus, which, by the way, I should mention, almost none of the teachers but Lupin could do, and still Lupin did it to one person. And he was the first to go for his wand when they knew there were Death Eaters in the cafe. So Harry has become the decisive one, it seems. The one that can make a snap judgment, assess a situation, and then decide what needs to be done. He also was the one that was the most suspicious of Lupin, right? Yeah. So he's got an unfortunate change in personality brought on by his circumstances. He probably never would have wanted to be this way, but life has taught him 
and he's finally starting to learn that the people you want to trust are not always what they seem. I think maybe Snape is the one that really reinforced that for him. And that if you wait around too long to make a plan, you might not make it, right? Yeah. So these are the these are the hard lessons that he's had to learn that have changed the way he behaves in dangerous situations. Plus, what is the number one value that that Gryffindor's prized among all others? Bravery. Bravery, courage, exactly. And being bold, stuff like that. So he is he is exemplifying what it means to be a Gryffindor here. He he confronts Lupin, identifies Lupin. Once they realize that they've all that they are 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 all who they say they are, they kind of fill Lupin in on what's happened to them. He tells them what's going on with the order. He shows Harry a daily prophet, and what does it say about Harry? This article is by Rita Skeeter, isn't it? I'm not sure. Probably. But how does it mention? What does it say about Harry? It says, I believe that. He is, like, at large, he is... He's a wanted criminal, right? He is unwanted. I'm not even sure what crime they have accused him of, but he's definitely a wanted man. There's another article describing uh, something happening to Muggleborn, which is in Wizards. Remember what that is? That all people who are Muggleborns must must be tested... People who are Muggleborns must be tested at the Ministry to see if they are related to wizard blood or not. You have to be registered, is what they're calling it, the Muggleborn Registration Act, which I'm not sure if the article mentions, but this is being headed up by Dolores Umbridge. It's an interesting thing to point out that Umbridge, Umbridge fit in well with Fudge's term as minister i don't understand how she managed to keep her job with uh rufus scrimjaw's term as minister well i i was thinking that they called him a wanted man in the paper because since the ministry is taken over by voldemort and the death eaters they're obviously against harry so they're saying he's wanted so that we can kill him because we hate him. Right. I'm saying they're still under the auspice that the ministry is good. They have they have yet to come out and say, hey, the ministry is run by the Death Eaters and Voldemort. <laughs> so they're, they're saying these are all good things. We're still your ministry. We're still taking care of witches and wizards. By the way, if you're a Muggleborn, just go ahead and show up. And prove to us that you're actually a witch or a wizard, uh, no big deal, right? Yeah. It turns out it's a real big deal, and we'll see more of that later. But this mirrors things in human history that have happened over and over and over, where some sort of megalomaniacal despot comes to power, decides that a certain group are unpure or unworthy or less than some other group and then starts rounding them all up possibly labeling them sometimes on their clothing sometimes physically and then putting them in places where they don't want to be 
very much like prisons, keeping them in certain neighborhoods or actually putting them behind gates in taking them away from their homes and away from their families and separating mothers and children. And it seems like this is the direction that the ministry is going now because the ministry is adopting the radical pure bloods only philosophy of Voldemort officially. That would be like the American government saying, if you've got brown hair, we need you to go to your local city hall, submit yourself for testing, and then if we decide, we're going to throw you in a truck and drive you somewhere else, and that's where you'll live now. You know? There's no real difference in, let's say, brown-haired and blonde-haired people. There's no real difference in muggle-born or purebred wizards or whatever. But they're creating this distinction. They're and they're going to start doing some really nefarious stuff, you know. They're they're kind of outing themselves as the enemy at this point, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. I don't think it's clear to the public yet, especially to regular people that are not filled in on what's been going on with Harry and what's been going on with the Order. I'm sure most people have never even heard of the Order. I'm sure most people don't know how Scrimjaw died, right? Yeah. Do you know yet who his replacement is? We saw him at the very beginning of the book. I think I I think I know who he is. He's this guy named Pious Thickness. And I think it's Thickness. I want to say that's his name. It it Does that sound right? It's either that or Thicknessy. I'm not sure which one. So anyway, he he is installed as a puppet minister. Do you know what that means? A replacement? He imagine if I'm saying uh, he's Voldemort's puppet. What does that make you think of? In theory? Uh, it sort of. It means that Voldemort is controlling him. Whether he's controlling him by the Imperious Curse or whether he's controlling him like he controls his Death Eaters through fear or promises of power. He's basically picked this guy and said, you're the new minister. Do everything I say and maybe I won't kill you. <laughs> you know? So, obviously, with that in place, plus all the people like Umbridge, Voldemort has, it's safe to say, total control of the wizard government at this point. He doesn't have to come out and say, surprise everybody, Dark Lord here, I run everything. He can do that from behind the scenes for as long as he likes. Like, he doesn't have to say, guys... I'm not the minister, but I control the minister, so I basically am the minister. Listen to me, and maybe you're not going to get killed. And again, this mirrors reality in so many ways. Uh, People that, governments that were controlled by other organizations, uh, world leaders that turns out were being puppeted by more powerful behind-the-scenes figures. This has happened over and over, and, and Rowling does this to illustrate Harry has escaped the muggle world and all of its problems only to find the exact same problems in the wizard world, right? So it's not it's not all hunky-dory. It's not all as wonderful and magical as it may seem. <laughs> Harry uh, asks Lupin, you know, about Tonks. He, what does he find out about Tonks? That she is living with her parents. And what condition is she in? She's pregnant. Yes, she's pregnant with Lupin's 
partial werewolf baby. And what does Lupin offer to do for Harry, Ron, and Hermione? Help them search for the, for, well, no, uh, Dumbledore didn't tell him about the plan, so he's just saying, I'll come along and help you along the way, but you don't have to tell me what you're doing. Right. He just wants to provide assistance. But what does this mean he would be doing? There's Harry thinks that there would be really no way to do what they're doing without Lupin finding out. So he denies. Not exactly. Lupin, what Lupin is offering to do is abandon his pregnant wife and go on this mission. And abandon his baby. Right. And also put himself in grave danger that could likely lead to his death leaving his child minus a parent. Uh, How does Harry react to this? He doesn't think that's all right. So he says, no, go go live with your wife and your baby. It's not quite that casual. They get in a shouting match. Harry says, you know, I think you'd actually rather, you know, instead of following us around, you'd rather spend time with your own child. Be there for your own child. And he calls him a coward. Both of them being Gryffindors and prizing bravery and courage above all else. Do you think that's a pretty bad insult? Yeah. Do you think he's right? No. Do you think he's just saying that out of anger? Probably. Why would Harry be so angry about a parent abandoning a child? His parents tried to save him by being there for him. His, yeah, his parents sacrificed everything. Just so that he could live. Just to be with him. And Lupin's saying, I'm not even going to be there to protect my child if the Death Eaters show up. So it'll be like, hey, I know my dad is alive probably, but I never see him. And it's not even that I don't think Lupin understands the scope of their mission, how long he might be gone. But the point is, because of Harry's past, he is more likely to want families to stay together. His family tried to stay together, and he still ended up with no family. And he's saying Lupin would be just giving up something he's never even had. Plus, I'm sure he's sympathizing for Lupin and Tonks' unborn child, who Harry probably assumes would be better off with his parents than being raised like Harry was by possibly uncaring distant relatives, right? Yes, Harry is saying that my parents tried to save me by being there for me, so they got killed doing that. So either way, they might not have a good time, Uh, so I guess just do the better option, and it'll end out the same way. Okay. They're angry at each other. Lupin storms off. Harry probably feels pretty bad about yelling at Lupin, but the whole situation made him very tense. Hopefully they'll find a way to make up before time, you know, too much time goes by. Uh, Lupin's gone. Harry is sort of defending his, his righteous anger to Ron and Hermione, though he wonders internally if he's done the right thing. He doesn't know. He's very angry and frustrated. He goes to read the Daily Prophet And he finds a story about Dumbledore from Rita. It's a passage from Rita Skeeter's new book. And what does it suggest about Dumbledore's sister, Ariana? That they they were embarrassed of her, so they kept her hidden. Why might they have been embarrassed of her? 
Because she was a squib. And a squib is what? A person who was born into a magical family. You have magical parents. You have magical brothers. You have magical sisters. But you can't do magic yourself. Right. And we know another squib from this story. Who is that? Filch. Filch, yeah. yeah. Uh, you was, you said from this story, and Filch isn't mentioned in this book, so I wasn't sure what you meant. The story of Harry Potter. Uh, so finishing out chapter 11, uh, Creature sort of appears out of nowhere, apparates, and who's he got with him? Mundungus. Harry disarms Mundungus. They kind of corner him. He's like, where did you get where did you get the locket and where did you put it? He admits that he stole it and that it was stolen by him from who? From Sirius? No. It was stolen from Mundungus by who else? Oh, uh Umbridge. Yeah, Umbridge catches him in the street, I think, trying to sell stolen things. And looks at him like, well, maybe I don't have to bring you in if you let me keep what I want, you know? And so she she is taken by this locket. Something about this locket is... Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating to her. She has to have it. What do you think is really happening there? I think that she probably knows that that's the locket of possibly Slytherin. I have a slightly different theory about this, and it's evocative of another book series that you haven't read that is is very famous in the world of fantasy and magic. It's the Lord of the Rings series. You've seen me watch those movies, right? Yeah, I see you watching those all day, like once or twice well, a year. Well, it's because they come on once or twice a year on TBS all day or TNT, and they <laughs> play 14 hours of movies back to back, and so you got to sit down and watch them. <laughs> so... One of the main themes of this story is there's a magical item, a magical ring that wants to get back to its evil master. And much like a Horcrux, the ring uh, houses a piece of the evil Lord's soul. And in fact, in this story, they call him the Dark Lord. Many, many things from Harry Potter borrow from this series. And this series is much, much older. And so it's had time to seep its way into many, many realms of pop culture. So lots of stuff about Voldemort and about his horcruxes and whatnot are kind of partially borrowed from Lord of the Rings. So the ring wants, the ring has a will because it contains a piece of its Lord's soul. It wants to get back to its master. I think what the author is trying to say here is that the locket knows its in danger and that it's not safe anymore, that it's not protecting a piece of Voldemort's soul. And when it sees Umbridge, it sees someone susceptible to suggestion of the Dark Lord, right? Because she has obviously partnered up with him now as he runs the ministry. So I think it thinks by being with Umbridge, I'm on my way back to Voldemort. Sure. That's just a theory. It's never really spelled out, but I think that's kind of the, the idea that we're supposed to get. Otherwise, why would she be so enthralled by this locket? So she takes it. She lets Dung go. And now we know the fate, right, of the locket. Of the locket. Chapter 12. Magic is Might, I believe it's called. 
Yeah, magic is might. As time goes by, the Death Eaters uh, sort of gather in greater numbers around Grimald Place. Harry still manages to apparate in unnoticed in and out, I guess. Yeah, because he wears his invisibility cloak and then opens the door briefly and goes in. When you do finally see the movies, they never do any of this. He's never under the cloak in the movies. So it's hard for me to remember that. Also, now that Creature is being uh, is being treated good by Harry, Hermione, and Ron, he's making much better food. Oh, he's serving them better, you're saying? Yeah. He's making, like, pies and stuff. Hmm. Okay. Harry walks into the kitchen where, like you've just said, Creature is waiting on him handed foot. He gives Ron the paper, and he's gracious, right? I think he also, because a house elf lives to serve, he's maybe happy at the chance to serve again. Yeah. He's He's been without a master for a very long time. Yeah, he he's like, uh, excuse me. Uh, Mr. Ronald Weasley, would you uh, would you like a dessert or blah, blah, blah? <laughs> and not only has he been without a master, but when he was alone with uh, Sirius, how was he treated? Poorly. Yes, Sirius hated him, and he treated him very badly. So it fueled his, you know, bad attitude all the time. There is an announcement in the Daily Prophet about Snape, what new job does he have? Da 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 da. <laughs> he is the headmaster of Hogwarts. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He has murdered the greatest headmaster Hogwarts has ever had and then taken his job. Do you think things are well at Hogwarts now? No. And they've got no idea. They never even showed up for this year, right? No, I think I think that the the kids at Hogwarts right now are probably trying to send like letters and secret messages to their parents saying, "Take me home. It's crazy here." But they probably Well, the question can't. is, what you got to wonder who besides Slytherins are actively sending their parent their kids to Hogwarts unless it is not public knowledge what killed Dumbledore. And that's kind of what I think it is. I think maybe the disinformation and the secrets run so deep that most parents don't know that Snape murdered Dumbledore. Maybe. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't send your kid back there, I don't think. I don't think I would, but I think that they're sending their kids back not knowing that Snape is the headmaster. Oh, you think maybe he was announced after the year started? Yes. Interesting. Hermione realizes that there is something in the house that is not safe if Snape is sitting in the headmaster's office. What is it? Uh, Phineas Nigelis's uh, portrait, because he has one in... uh, Previously Dumbledore's and now Snape's office and in the Black House. So they'd he'd be able to see everything that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are doing. Yeah, as long as a dead headmaster has two portraits, he can travel between them. It's possible 
that this portrait has already been spying on them, right? They've been there a while. Yes. Uh, so Hermione thinks uh, to put the painting in her bag. Yeah, she, ha- she stashes it where it can no longer see them. Harry has been apparating off to the ministry, spying on the ministry, I guess under his cloak. And they're planning a break-in. Yeah. It, because because what do they need that's at the ministry now? They need to get the the locket from Umbridge, who's at the ministry. So. Right. So they assume that she has it with her because it's valuable or whatever. Now, they, f- they don't think to steal it from her at home or anything, which is kind of odd. They think to go to maybe the most secure place in the whole <laughs> wizarding world. And now they... Now they're going there like every other day or something and they're finding out when everybody gets there who's here who's here early who's here late what uh who these people are uh what their job is everything just as they're going over their plan harry's scar starts to hurt and he goes to the bathroom to hide i it seems like for some reason he does not want his friends to see him when he goes through these Spells. I know why. Why? Hermione says that Hermione knows that Dumbledore told him to do Aquamancy with Snape, and she knows that he didn't learn it, but he was supposed to. So now he's now whenever she whenever he has these like Dumbledore migraine things. Voldemort. Yeah. Uh. Yeah she's going to say, you should have learned Uncle Ben's again. Yeah, so he doesn't want to get yelled at by Hermione. Through this vision, Harry watches Voldemort uh, kill a woman and her children who live in someone's former house. Whose house do they live in? Uh, It was, is it the Wandraker? Yes, the Wandmaker Grigorovich. So Voldemort is now searching for Grigorovich. He's made it to a former home. He's killed the people that live there. They don't know anything about him. As he wakes up from this vision, he's interrogated by Hermione, who wants to know what's going on. Yeah, somehow she got in there, but I'm guessing that Harry's head hurts so bad that he didn't even think to lock the door. But Ron says, Ron convinces her that we need to allow Harry to decide if he should be forcing out these visions or allowing them to happen. Harry seems to think that in seeing Vold- seeing through Voldemort's eyes, he's learning more about what Voldemort is doing, right? This might lead them to more horcruxes. Hermione thinks that Dumbledore might be doing what he did in the fifth year uh, where, or sixth year, whichever it was, that he wait what was i talking about i think you're trying to say that in the same way that dumbledore would not talk to harry so that voldemort could not see what he was doing they're saying we should block out these visions so that voldemort can't see what we're doing i think harry is under the impression that maybe the visions only work one way because if voldemort could see what they were doing why aren't they dead yet he can also put Fake visions in Harry's head. Right. And he tried that once, and it worked really well. But he hasn't seemed to try it since. 
But at the same time, we have no evidence that the connection is two-way, that he can see what Harry's doing. He knows that Harry can see some of what he's doing. Yeah, he can make Harry see things, even if they're not true, but we don't know if he can see Harry's. Certainly. So Harry is under the impression that these visions need to continue, that this is a way for me to get more information They study their plan for breaking into the ministry. Harry, Ron, and Hermione get a good night's sleep. And I don't know. I don't think it's here, but I I do remember earlier in this this book, Harry wakes up in Grimmauld Place to see that Ron and Hermione's hands are very close to each other. And he wonders if they fell asleep holding hands. Do you remember how that makes him feel? It makes him realize once again that maybe they're starting to realize they like each other. Not just that, but it makes him feel lonely. And I think that's because he looks at the situation that they're in and thinks at least they've got each other. And I don't have Ginny. I don't have anybody. Yeah, I was about to say, he's probably thinking about Ginny. Even though she's safe, I feel like there's a hole in me that can't be filled up without her. And in a different world... Harry might have invited her to come along because she would certainly be an asset. She's a powerful witch. She's very clever. She could have helped. But do you think Harry would be able to concentrate on the mission? With somebody he liked, no. I think he would be very concerned about her well-being and possibly not willing to do what he needed to do if he was worried about her getting hurt. Which isn't to say she doesn't deserve to be there. It just means that Harry might not be strong enough. To do his job while she's there. Yeah. And it's not her fault. But at least maybe he's mature enough to realize that he's too immature to, (laughs) you know, have his girlfriend along for the battle of of saving the world. So It's really nobody's fault that he couldn't, that he couldn't do his job without her being there. It's just... Harry's mind saying, uh, "Is Ginny all right? Yeah, he's, Should I?" He's go got a lot. He's her? got enough to worry about. I think is the point, and he, more so than anything, he probably just would not be able to function if he felt like he was the one that put her in danger. She would probably do just fine, holding on. You know, holding on uh, her into the bargain, her, being a good asset to the team. But anyway, they've decided not to bring her. So. As a matter of fact, I don't think Harry has, other than knowing that she was safe from the wedding, he probably doesn't know anything about her at this point. Maybe Lupin said something to, to fill Harry in. So they figured out their plan. They're going to break into Umbridge's office. Uh, well, first they're going to do Polyjuice Potion. Correct. That's the next thing. They are outside the entrance, the employee entrance to the Ministry of Magic, which is what? The place where everybody except the minister goes in to go to their job. But what is it? It's not a phone booth. That's the guest entrance. What's the employee entrance? Do you remember? I don't know about any significance about it. It's bathroom stalls. At least it is in the movies. Do you not remember that from the books? No. I don't remember if it's in the books or not. In In the movies, you have to stand in a toilet and flush yourself into the ministry. Actually... I think that happens after they get the 
in uh, the Polyjuice Potion. All right, whatever. So they stun a few ministry workers, take their hair, I assume. Obviously, for what purpose? Uh, to make the Polyjuice Potion with. Yeah, so they're going to impersonate three ministry employees. They have not... I don't think they've spent much time figuring out who they're going to take. I think they've looked at schedules and they see who comes and who goes. But they may not actually know who these people actually are. Because we will learn pretty soon they may not have made the best choices. So they've got three ministry employees. They turn into them. They transform into them. They take their clothes, I guess. Like I, th- I think that they probably should have picked... Specifically picked some people who... Well, for instance, why didn't they pick Umbridge? I was going to say who had either a close close friendship with Umbridge, uh, Umbridge herself, or just somebody with with a normal ministry job. Well, or somebody who's high enough in the ministry that people would not question if they were doing unusual things. So they've got their three employees. They've got their Polyjuice Potion. Obviously, they've gotten much better at making Polyjuice Potion because in the past, the first time it took Hermione, what, three months to make it or something? or a month, month. A month to brew it. So, But that that was how long it was supposed to take. This time, they seem to be able to make it much more quickly. Outside the employee entrance, they are disguised as ministry employees. They head to, yes, fake public toilets that I assume muggles do not go into. Maybe they have kind of a muggleless repellous charm on them. I think they uh I think that the muggles probably use the bathroom like usual, but it's really magical so that wizards can go down it. As they enter the ministry, they are greeted by a new statue. Wasn't there the last time Harry was there? And this is where we get the title of our chapter. What does the statue say? don't remember what it says, but... Well, what's the title of the chapter? What did you just say? What's the title of the chapter? No, I don't know what you just said. Magic is might. So it's magic is might. Mm-hmm. But it, I do remember that there's two people. Harry thinks it's, they're just sitting on pretty thrones talking, but Hermione's like, Ah, oh, that, that statue is horrible. Harry's like, wait, wait, what's... What's wrong with people sitting on chairs? Hermione says, Don't you see what the chairs are made of? Harry looks closer, and they're made of frozen humans. It's a it's wizards sitting on thrones made of muggles. As in, our rightful place is not only to rule over these people, but also to subjugate and enslave them and use them as furniture, apparently. <laughs> So, yeah, it's pretty gross, and it shows the shifting attitude of the ministry in the absence of, well, not so much the absence of good people, but more so the influence of Voldemort. I'm not sure if it's real muggles or not. It's a stone statue. I don't think they froze wizards and muggles to make a statue. But it is the first thing you see when you enter the highest office of all wizardom, and so... It certainly says this is what we represent now, which is not cool. Harry, Ron, and Hermione almost instantly get into trouble when Yaxley, who is a Death Eater, storms up uh, to Ron. 
Ron is disguised as a guy named Reg Cattermole. And he's got he's demanding something. What does he say? You have to go fix somebody's office. It's raining. It's his office. And he says, yeah, it's been raining in my office. You got to fix the window. It's actually raining in my office, you know. And he's it's he's very threatening. He's not just asking for help. He makes it sound like it's going to be a problem for him. I'm not sure if he mentions it here, but I remember from the movie he mentions this may determine how your wife's hearing goes. Something like that. Ron has no idea what this guy's talking about, right? Yeah. But because he's there and he's yelling at him and they don't want to blow their cover, Ron's like, uh, okay, I guess. I hope this guy talks like this. Uh, I I guess let's go or something. Yeah, I'll go try whatever. <laughs> it, it it would it would have probably been better for Ron to just run. Like I'm very not good at this because I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll try. Yeah, he's they're already in too deep. They've been there for one minute. They get into a basically a, a Wonkavator at the uh, ministry, <laughs> and. In this elevator, they run into all sorts of characters. There's really only one set of elevators in there, so everyone's kind of in and out of it all at the same time. But Ron doesn't even know where to get off. He doesn't even know like what floor to be on or anything like that, right? I think he just follows Yaxley. When they're in the lift, Hermione tries to tell Ron a few ways that he could fix the window, but you know, Ron's not going to be able to do it. He... Hermione probably knows 10 spells to try and stop indoor rain, but Ron doesn't have a freaking clue, so he's not going to be able to actually do anything. Other wizards come in. Ron is sort of forced out with uh, Yaxley, and he's like, "Uh, I guess I'll see what happens. Hermione says, "Uh, I'm going to go help him. And then the doors open, and who do they see? Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge, the very person they are looking to... Rob, basically, (laughs) is in the elevator with them. Hermione can't go help Ron now. She's like, "Uh, there you are, somebody. Uh, You you have to go uh, test somebody, something like that. Well, it turns out it's Mafalda Hopkirk. Do you remember where we've heard that name before? The person that Hermione is disguised as is Mafalda Hopkirk. You mentioned her. When we when we were talking, I mentioned about her that. earlier because the name always sticks in my head. She is the person who sent Harry the expulsion letters for using underage magic when he got those howlers. Right, he's like, like wishing you all the best, Mafalda Hopkirk, Ministry of Magic. So she's been a ministry official in Harry's life before. This it turns out this is who Hermione is disguised as. And she is needed by Umbridge uh, to the, the courtrooms to go to the courtrooms for some sort of hearings. Pius Thickness shows up, and he's the new minister. He thinks Harry is this guy, Albert Runcorn, and talks to him as if he's Albert Runcorn. And Harry kind of mumbles his way through that and doesn't really know what he's supposed to say. This is Chapter 13, The Muggle-Born Registration Commission, which mentions that you know thing we talked about earlier where muggles might have to register and somehow prove themselves to the ministry it sounds like maybe that's what umbridge is doing right now that she wants hermione to accompany her to right yeah so harry as 
Pious Thickness leaves, Harry has got his invisibility cloak. So what does he decide to do? I think he tries to hide under it. Yeah, he puts it on and he heads off to Umbridge's office. He thinks he can find Slytherin's locket. I'm correct. The notes say it's Slytherin's locket. So it's not just Slytherin's ring, but it was also Slytherin's locket that his mother had. So I think he goes like through the hallway to Umbridge's office, but before he goes... Is it now that he sees the interrogation or where he goes into no, the room? No, no, this is not yet happening. Okay. He so he goes and he goes into the room across Umbridge's office, I believe, and they're like passing out pink, like pink little booklets. Or not something. yet, not yet. He goes off to find Umbridge's office, and he can't figure out how they're gonna meet back up and get out of there. But he does find her office, and what is special about her office door? It has Mad-Eye Moody's eye on it. Which is confusing to me, I guess, because didn't, like, Arthur and Fred or somebody go to retrieve Mad-Eye's body? They went, They, I think they went to go find him to give him a funeral, but they never found him. Oh, okay. So obviously she has this as a trophy almost, and here's what's really gross about this here's what's really terrifying about it what was mad eye's job or where do auras work in the ministry who do you think didn't know about mad eye like nobody right everyone knows about this crazy guy with one leg and one eye who's all grumbly and mean but he's also the baddest aura that ever lived right <laughs> yeah so everyone knows what this is. Everybody that works at the ministry that walks past her office knows that their former co-worker, his eye is displayed like a trophy in this woman's office. Like that's even if you didn't like them that even if you didn't like him, that has got to be terrifying. Yeah, it's gonna be scary for sure. Um it may be her way of saying, Don't mess with me because blah blah blah. It also 100% tells you that she is working for Voldemort because she wasn't there when they killed Mad-Eye, which means someone gave her the eye, perhaps? Maybe, like, maybe the, maybe the Death Eaters took Mad-Eye's body uh, before uh, the good guys could find him. Maybe, but yeah. It just, ugh, it's just a, a real gruesome revelation about her. Harry gets into her office. This might be what you're talking about when he uses what's called a decoy detonator. Yeah, he... he where I you said that he saw the room where they were making yeah, pamphlets. It, it has like little legs or something and it walks into the middle of the room and then it and then it like, it's it kind of like explodes mm -hmm. into a cloud of like black smoke. He quick grabs the pamphlet uh, and then heads out the door. Yeah, so he gets into Umbridge's office. And for some reason, he takes off the cloak. He's looking, well, it's probably easier to see what's going on. He is searching for the locket. He doesn't find it, but he does find a file on Arthur Weasley. What does he learn from this file? Don't remember. He learns that everything Arthur does is being watched. 
Arthur's a ministry employee, but obviously everyone, like Voldemort knows he's a member of the Order. So even though they're allowing him to keep his job, they're following him and watching him. What do you think they hope to find out by following and monitoring Arthur's movements? Secrets about the Order? About Harry, I'm sure. I'm sure they figure, okay, we know enough about Arthur to know that his son is Harry's best friend, that Harry spends time with them. Right, it it's actually says in the file that uh, he's in contact with an within unwanted undesirable undesirable yeah so harry's looking for the locket he he learns through watching order members and he learns his new title and what is harry's official title from the ministry now the number one undesirable I think. undesirable number one yes it's as if it's like saying um you know fbi's most wanted number one he's of all the people they think they should be capturing and probably killing, Harry is the top of that list. So that's cool for Harry. <laughs> it's good to be, you know, the most wanted person, the, in the, the best at something, world. I guess. Pious Thickness walks in, but Harry sneaks out uh, the open door before I think he sees him. Right? He's yeah. not caught at this point. Harry gets back into the lift, and he's going to hope that he runs into Ron and Hermione and just get out of there. But he doesn't have the locket. I guess he's realized it's kind of too dangerous, maybe Maybe. at this point, that their mission's not going to succeed. Or just that, well, we searched her office and it's not here. So we got to come up with a new plan. Is it now that he finds the interrogation room? He actually runs into Arthur and Percy. But because Percy's there, he can't say anything, right? Right, he can't say, hey, it's me, Harry. I think if it was just Arthur, he could say, hey, it's me, Harry. And maybe say, like, hey, I am trying to find this locket, you know? Do you you know where that could be? Who could he have run into that would have been of great assistance? Uh, Kingsley? Yes. What if Kingsley had stepped on the elevator? Kingsley, oh my God. Finally, somebody I can trust. It's me, Harry. I can prove it. Where is that locket? (laughs) gotta find that locket but no it's always somewhere that he has to keep his cover and it's not uh not super helpful right it's always an undesirable for him sure so they come in briefly and then depart and they can't talk with uh arthur ron is trying to i think he's still trying to Get it to stop raining in this office, maybe. They end up in the same... Uh... Oh, yeah, Ron shows up in the lift. So now it's Ron, his father, his brother, and Harry in the lift, I guess. And just as Harry tries to leave, Arthur threatens him because he thinks he's this guy, Runcorn, for turning in another Muggleborn. And I guess Runcorn is really mean. Yeah, so that's kind of what I was saying is if they had known who they were picking, maybe they wouldn't have picked a guy that's probably evil and a guy that's probably good but being, you know, picked on by people that are evil. And I think maybe Hermione's is the only great choice because she seems to be kind (laughs) of in the middle and able to get around without much problem even though she was pulled away by Dolores Umbridge 
But, so, I mean, her job is actually pretty simple. She just doesn't like it. Right. So he has to sort of defend himself as if he's this guy Runcorn for Percy's benefit only and probably doesn't enjoy that very much, right? Uh, Harry has to go to the courtroom. He's again under his invisibility cloak. I think he's going to be looking for Hermione at this point. He runs past these muggleborns that he sees that are awaiting trial, basically, right? To be judged. This is where he finds the interrogation room. They're going to be judged for supposedly their parentage and nothing else. So I think he like sneaks in the room with his invisibility cloak on, like, and then gets on to the seats behind Hermione. Before he gets there, he sees that a wizard is being carried away screaming. He sees that Dementors are lined up. He's like, I'm half blood, I tell you. Possibly to perform punishments for the Muggleborns. This is dark, dark stuff in the world of wizarddom. Harry sneaks in, and Mary Cattermole is called in by Umbridge. He slips in with her. Why do we know the name Cattermole? Because the guy who Ron turned into was named Reg Cattermole. So they're probably related, it's safe to say. Also, that thing I said that might have just been from the movies where he threatens Cattermole about his wife's trial. This is, this that, is his wife. That's probably his wife, I'm saying. Right. So... In the courtroom, Harry lets Hermione know that he's there. Obviously, they probably recognize each other, even though they're in disguise. And he watches... He says, like, Hermione, it's me. And then she's like... Ah. Oh, right. And he's still under his invisibility cloak, too. So. Yeah. so he has to let her know that he's even in the room. Umbridge is interrogating, but also threatening, but also just randomly accusing Mary Cattermole of... All sorts of terrible things, uh, claiming that she's not a witch, that she stole her wand. All while having a nice voice. Yeah. Uh, from which, you know, from which, which, oh, wizard, did you steal this wand? It's my wand. I was born with it. You know, I was given it. I were not born with it. But, I, you know, I bought I, it. I bought it from Olivander. I bought it from I bought it when I was birthday. 11. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> and so, and she's like, that's not possible because only... And the wand chooses the wizard, and it only chooses real wizards. It is never clear to me the point of this scene other than to illustrate that Umbridge knows she's lying and that they're just looking for a way to accuse Muggleborns of some crime because they have no basis. Well, later this scene is important. It is, but my point is Umbridge knows that Muggleborns can be witches and wizards. That's a fact. If your opinion is that they are bad, well, you're dumb, but you can have that opinion, but it does not change the fact that they can do magic, get wands, go to school. The yeah. This is just, yeah, this is uh, Umbridge uh, taught Muggleborns and the most, you know, skilled which in her class was a muggle-born. And two things. One, uh, she, she knows that there eventually just had to be a first wizard, uh, just like there was a first human. Well, they're not, even, they're not even going back to the... Well, there wasn't really a first human, so much as there was, you know, a, a very minute series of progressive steps over millions and millions of years. But 
but there was probably a first person to control magic and then spread that knowledge throughout the world. And one other thing, uh, we don't know yet, as far as I remember, uh, of of Umbridge's heritage. And it may never be mentioned. It, it, obviously, we know that you know Voldemort's not a pureblood, so that's not doesn't seem to be that important. But the idea that they're saying, obviously, you're not really a witch because you're a Muggleborn is just a fallacy that they've created. And and you can see from the confusion in Mary Cattermole's sort of testimony, her defense, and that she's like, doesn't even know what she's being accused of. She's not going to lie and say her parents aren't who they are, but she knows that she's a a witch. So it's like, you're lying. You know you're lying. I know you're lying. And you know that I know you're lying. Like... <laughs> You, that isn't how lying works. <laughs> you can only lie about the things you did or didn't do that I don't know about. But still, you should lie. Sure. But we're not even there yet. We're not even close to whether we're being honest or, or dishonest. It's like you're lying against the rules. <laughs> the rules of lying don't work this way. She is telling someone where they both know the truth. And she's trying to get that person to admit a lie that she's invented. And it just doesn't work. So the only thing I can think of is that they're going to say, well, you're obviously lying, so I don't care. Take this non-witch away. And it's just an official way of getting rid of the people they don't like. Because they could, like, they're probably going to put, they're probably going to put every person in that line in Azkaban, so they Or just giving the Dementors kiss, I mean, there's Dementors everywhere. Like, they could probably just, like, go, uh, and skip, go ahead and skip this scene and say, everyone who's a Muggle-born, come to the Ministry, uh, and then when they get there, uh... They say, oh, we forgot to mention, you're going to be given the Dementor's kiss. Goodbye. Yeah, exactly. And so they're obviously just trying to find sort of a pretend official way to eliminate Muggleborns, which is not, it, it doesn't really matter if the ministry is corrupt at this point. They're just sort of playing games now. They're, it, rather, rather than just walk out in the streets and murder people they don't like, they're doing it under this pretend official capacity. It's safe to say if things were allowed to progress and if Voldemort did eventually come out and say, hi, I'm Voldemort, I run everything, we're going to kill everybody I don't like, then they would just do it right out, you know? They wouldn't pretend that it was a new law or that the government was somehow supporting it with these inquiries of things that don't make any sense. So anyway, long tangent, but... Go to Harry Potter. Mary... Pardon? I said, let's get back to Harry Potter. Okay, so Mary is being interrogated. Harry's in the room. He's under the invisibility cloak. Harry lets Hermione know that he's there. He watches Umbridge interrogate or or really just make stuff up for Harry Cattermole. And then sees that Umbridge has what? The locket. Which she is now wearing around her neck. Harry whips into action, stuns Umbridge... 
I guess from under the cloak. I th- I think he doesn't care about the cloak now, so it bumps off him. And he, st- and he, uh, he stuns Yaxley. He grabs the locket and he grabs Mary Cattermole. And Hermione. And Hermione. And heads for the exit. And on the way, sort of gets all the Muggleborns. She says uh, to the rest of the Muggleborns, Hey, you guys, the, like, the interrogation's canceled. Come with me. So they all, they all follow Harry out of there, still in disguise. Harry sees wizards sealing the exits and yells for them to stop as if they might be confused because he's the one saying it, right? And he's possibly in some official position to do that. He's like, hey, like, uh, to the to the man sealing the last exit, he's like, don't seal that exit! Yeah, so him, the Muggleborns, Ron and Hermione all manage to escape, head off to safety. From this point on, it's kind of just chaos. They're the gonna. This they're gonna apparate to Grimmauld Place, but then Harry feels himself being pulled away. Right. I think that somebody is holding on to Hermione. She shakes him off. Then she grabs Ron, but then she holds Harry's hand really tight, like really, really tight. Yeah. So Harry probably doesn't know where he's apparated to at this point. He's sort of been jerked in a new direction that he's that he's not expecting and now kind of the end (laughs) i would say and that that's the end of chapter 13 that's probably a good place for us to stop then when we come back we'll be on chapter 14 the thief i do want to mention a couple of questions i asked in the previous episode that were answered by listeners on twitter uh one of those comes from at jedi chef sean uh, I had wondered what happened if Harry still had his potion book that belonged to the Half-Blood Prince. And he reminded me that it is hidden in the Room of Requirement, where right. Harry and no one else could find it. Because Gin- Well, except Ginny, because she was the one who hid it. Right. Harry doesn't even know where it is. Harry doesn't want to know where it is. He also mentioned that... It would be, he would be too tempted. He also mentioned that I was correct in that the watch that Mrs. Weasley gave Harry was an heirloom. It belonged to her late brother, Fabian Pruitt. I, I was right about that, too. So they gave Ron a new watch, but they possibly gave Harry a more special watch. Why? Uh, just to show him he was loved, I guess. I don't know. Why they? How would they give him a more special watch if his was used? Because it was used by her brother, who is dead oh. and who he, who she probably loves and misses very much. Okay. Second one that we got was from at underscore Charlie Swift. Remember how I told you that the final Harry Potter movie was split because another film split their last book and it did very well? Yeah. She mentioned that I actually had the order wrong on that, that... The final two Harry Potter films were split, or the final Harry Potter book was split into two films because they couldn't fit it all into one movie, and they didn't feel they could tell the story in one movie. But then this other series did the same thing, primarily for money, because they didn't even have enough material to really fill one and a half movies. Like like in both of those movies, those two-hour-plus movies, less than an hour worth of stuff happens. Not even that. Like, I remember in 
from what I've seen in the movies seven and eight that both of those are like two to two hours and 30 minutes long. All of the Harry Potter movies are. The shortest one is like two hours and 10 minutes. Most of them are like 220, 230. Wow. And they're still, you know, tons and tons and tons of information cut out of all of them because you still can't fit a whole, you know, 40 chapter book into a two and a half hour movie. Yes. So if. But Harry Potter apparently started the trend of splitting the final one and now it's happened over and over and over and it's not always necessary. It happened with the Twilight franchise. It happened with the Hunger Games franchise. It happened with several others that it just seems to be the the cool thing to do now is to get four movies out of three books. I was going to say that I guess they kind of had to split it apart because there was so much going on that if they put it into one movie, it would be like five hours long. Well, like I said in the last episode, there's really only enough stuff in those movies to be like one three and a half hour movie instead of two two and a half hour movies. But the decision came down to you can't release a three and a half hour movie. No one will sit through it, especially not one that kids might be intended to go to. So the decision would be, do we cut out like a third or more to, of everything that happens in this book? Or do we split it into two books and pad it out a little bit so that it fits two full movies? So you'll see, especially in the first one of those two movies, there's a lot of time that could be condensed. There are parts where it lags, but it's still they're still quite satisfying. So thank you to both of those listeners for writing in with some, uh, I don't know, not corrections, but just answers to questions that I had. I appreciate that. If you enjoy Potter and Daughter, please do uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It'll help other people find the show and listen to it along with their kids. The most people I've heard from that listen to this show have told me that they're listening to it with their kids. I think that's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. They'd read a chapter and then or read a section of chapters and then listen to the podcast. So that's neat. And uh, if you really like the show, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinksensue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E. And throw in a couple bucks a month. That'll certainly help support my creative endeavors, making podcasts and comics and videos for a living. For Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Good episode? Great episode. Reach across the couch. <laughs> there we go. High five. Good I times. got it. Okay. This book is so awesome.